I'm Carrie Adams, and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Well, Scott Willem Jubert, hottie from the south, famed winemaker, past CEO of Rupert Rothschild Vignerons, husband, father, friend, Welcome to Carrie's Corner, my Skulky. How are you? Very, very well. Uh, we are about two-thirds uh, away in, for this harvest, so we've got one-third left uh, to finish, and then uh, we had rain, and, and we had plenty of rain a week ago, and uh, we planned actually to start picking again today, and this morning, lo and behold, it's, it's raining again. So, uh, <laughs> well, I think that's the nature of the game, and that's why we're not making Coca-Cola. So... Oh. Goes. Thank goodness you're not making Coca-Cola. <laughs> today, just so that everybody knows, today is the Ides of March. Do you know that? No. Do you know what the Ides of March is? Trick the Ides of March, we were told always to beware the Ides of March. It's the 15th of March. And it was mm-hmm. the same day that Julius Caesar was assassinated in 44 BC. But aside from that, it was also a day that the Romans used to say everybody needed to clear all their bad debts and things. So oh, I will pay you that outstanding uh, invoice. <laughs> I'm just reminding you, so, just reminding you that you owe me a debt of coming to stay in, in Johannesburg with me, Skulk Jubeir. Yes, yes. We'll Skulky, so. I'm in touch with you today and I'm interviewing you on Biz News because whilst your track record doesn't need any introduction, I'd hazard a guess that there are very few people on planet Earth who don't know who Skulk Jubeir is. Skulk Jubeir Headed up, he gave birth to the first Rupert and Rothschild wines. He looked after them, he mollycoddled them, he nurtured them, he got them to perfection. And five years before he left Rupert and Rothschild, he became the CEO, I think, and spent five years running that whole ship more than admirably. So that is your sort of claim to fame, but there's so many others. We don't want to just compartmentalize you into that. In 2018, you resigned from R&R and you took over the reins from another gorgeous boyfriend of mine, Bertrand Otto. How is Bertrand, before we go any further? No, actually very well. They are, they are here on the farm uh, at the moment during harvesting uh, season to see how everything is going, but very, very well. Yeah, I'll give him my best love. He is it. one of my favorite people. Bertrand Otto and, of course, the Otto family took the bull by the horns and decided to put all their faith into Skulky, and they bought some property in the Cape, and started out with a little venture called Pink Valley that some of you might know about. And Pink Valley Rosé is very unique in that it's the only farm in the Cape that makes only rosé. So before we go on to speak about Crescendo, which is what I'm really here for today, let's brag a little bit about Pink Valley, should we? Please, please go ahead. <laughs> you, you're going to brag about it, not me. No, it's, it, it's just, um, you know, it, it's an incredible property. Um, it's also on the slopes of the Helderberg, uh, about uh, 500 meters from the old Cordoba farm, which now is, is Taibosch. And we've decided to, to produce a rosé, you know, rosé being uh, a category that's grown worldwide phenomenally. Um, whereas in South Africa, the perception very much is still uh, sweet, cheap and cheerful. And um, in our group, we have uh, a winery very close to Avignon in the south of France, also producing only rosé. So 
we basically take a chapter of a book and, and decided to produce only rosé. Um, the style of the wine is unlike most rosés, or any rosés for that matter in this country. And uh, it's, it's been doing very, very well. What grape do you make it out of? It's predominantly Grenache, a little bit of Shiraz, and then I have an old uh, organic vineyard very close to me um, producing delicious uh, Sangiovese. And the Sangiovese, just 5 or 6% of that is just adding to the crispness and the acidity in the wine and giving that very long, beautiful finish. Absolutely gorgeous. So whilst we've been drinking Pink Valley and looking at Skulk Burger, because he's nice to look at, at Skulk Burger, that's the wrong Skulk, Skulk to bear. Oh. <laughs> uh, that was a bit of a Freudian slip. No. Um, <laughs> we have been waiting with bated breath for the release of the first wines to come out of Cordoba, which is now known, as you say, as Taibosch. Taibosch, I suppose, named after the trees that are on the farm. Yes, yes. Uh, it's indigenous uh, fungal species that's on the farm. Um, mm. It was not our first choice, but then I've discovered that most names have already been taken or registered. And, yes. um, and it's, it, you know, we, we have so much Taibosch on the farm. It's an incredible plant, and, and, and it's uh, a name that's pronounceable in most languages. Yes. Uh, that, so for us, it actually made sense to, to call the wine Tarbosh. We kept Crescendo, however. Um, I think inherently there's a lot of goodwill still in the, you know, everybody remembers the, the Crescendos uh, Chris Kett made uh, for mm. Cordoba. Uh, the 95 especially is coming to mind. Establishing the, the farm. Yeah. Well, Tarbosh, of course, is, it's part of the Rus family. It's quite hardy makes lovely little mm. flowers that attracts all the pretty birds and butterflies and bees. It's a fabulous mm. name, I think. And it is relatively easy because I think that you're probably going to spend most of your time selling this stuff overseas. There's going to be hardly any left for the likes of me in South Africa. Cordoba, little farm Cordoba, now Taibos. When I first came back from overseas, I remember looking at all those farms around about there. And it's on the other sort of other side of the hill from Fergeliechen ish Mm. There's a Cabernet Franc streak that runs right the way down the middle there. The the soils are just right, the rocks, the geology is absolutely perfect. And it is, I think, the premium spot in South Africa for Cabernet Franc. And, of course, that's what you're growing there, isn't it? Yes, um, we are currently making one wine, um, which is a, a blend, predominantly Cabernet Franc. About 60% uh, of the, the blend is Cabernet Franc, followed by Merlot, and then about 10% uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. And they'll find that uh, the Cabernet Franc I can pick earlier than the Cabernet Sauvignon, so mm. slightly lesser alcohol levels in the wine, at a riper, phenolic, riper uh, mm, So it's grapes. sweeter, yes. it's juicier. The grapes are big and full and ripe and gorgeous. Yes, yeah. yes, without mm. having a 14 and a half alcohol in it. Yes. So this particular, we've just released what vintage? 20 what? Uh, 18. So 18 is the first release, yeah. Very limited quantities. Uh, mm. But I just want to correct you on something you mentioned earlier. The South African market will always be uh, a primary <laughs> market. Um, you know, I was hoping you were going to say uh, that. So, yes, um, the wine is, is almost an allocation basis, but, you know, you have to be recognized in the country where you're from, foremost mm. before trying to sell wine overseas. Um, so for me, the South African market is by far the most important market. 
Well, also, when you're not making that much, it's easy to sell what you've made in South Africa. I think there are a lot of people at the moment who are battling to sell their wine in South Africa. I think there are a lot of people who are desperately trying to put food on their plate, never mind wine in their glass. Mm. So it's it's very fortunate for you that you come with a with the pedigree that you do come with because because you could sell it wherever you wanted to. Your reputation sort of precedes you. So you could do that, but we're not going to do that. We're going to keep some for the South African market because we're deserving of it. We're deserving of your unbelievable winemaking skills. You haven't tried to mess too much with this, and I think that there are very few wine aficionados or wine fanatics, let's say, who don't remember Chris Keats' 1995 Cordoba Crescendo. You mm. haven't swerved too far away from that recipe, have you? No, no, I haven't. But I, I want to make something clear. I mean, I'm not trying to recreate the 95 Crescendo. No. We're using the same grapes. We're using the same, more or less, the same uh, percentages of grape varieties in, in the, the wine. But, but we've changed a couple of things in terms of winemaking. Um, not nothing severe, but you know, um, the I always say that that, that wine making is is like making bread. You know, you have basic ingredients, you have a recipe, and you follow it. I mean, mm. wine making per se has not changed over the past couple of hundred of years. So the recipe remains the same. The, the one thing that we do slightly different is is that. I've come to the conclusion, especially on the Helderberg, because of the really refined tannin structure of our grapes, by keeping it in small oak barrels from barriques, to, that, you, mm. that the wood can very easily overpower the wine. So what we're doing is, is to keep the wine a shorter time, um, yes. 14 months in the small barrels, then we will do the blend, and then I will transfer the blend again to food race, which is large oak vessels, 70% You love those food, food race. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. You, yeah. you do love you almost a food race. <laughs> and, and then the remaining part is going to cement tank. And, and by doing that, you, you, you get the polymerization of the tannins, but you, you're keeping the food, so you don't have that really mocha yava sweetness coming into play, mm. which is wood-derived flavors. You know, for me, I want to portray the, the area the cultivar what we are working with, so that should always be on the foreground, you know. So for me, it's expressing the, the site, sense of place, instead, mm. of, instead of expressing a forest somewhere in France. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> right. It's just very encouraging to hear that, because there's a lot of wine that tastes like you're sort of chewing on the bark of a tree. We don't want that. In fact, there's so much wine that's coming out of France now that's not even oaked at all. I mean, some of those less yeah. serious sort of mm. fun-type wines mm. out of the southern regions of France, they're hardly oaking any of that at all. Now, with, without a doubt, there's a movement away from oak. However, I must just say that uh, Bordeaux varieties uh, need oak uh, to, to, to manage the tannin structure of those varieties. So if you have Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Petit Verdot, these varieties, you need some sort of oak. Whereas if you're getting more to the south of France, or even in the Swatland, for that matter, in South Africa, where you have working with different Mediterranean varieties. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For that, you don't necessarily need oak. We definitely, definitely need oak on our Bordeaux. I wouldn't speak to you ever again if you gave me an, an unoaked Bordeaux. <laughs> but I do like the idea of cement. I do like those cement tanks that you put them into. Tell the listeners the difference between leaving it in oak for... 18 months and then moving it to your fudras or your 
or your cement tanks? Tell them what happens, basically. Okay, so, so basically, the longer you keep, the smaller the vessel, uh, the bigger the, the wood component would be that, that would be imported into the wine. So um, uh, while we just mentioned that we need some of the small oak to manage the tannin structure in the wine, after 12 to 13 months, depending on the vintage, we'll make the blend and then move it to the food rest in the cement tank. So in the food rate, you still get some sort of oxidation coming from the oak, but you have a freshness in the wine. Um, less oak flavors are imparted in the wine. And then the incredible thing with cement, and the main reason for, for that is I, I think the temperature inside a cement tank, um, being such a not a very good conductor, is so mm. stable. Um, and you get a wine that is almost purity of fruit, that is expression. There's a there's almost a nervousness in the wine um, if it's been in cement for, for, for a while. The wine is clear. Um, and even though, maybe it's just a perception, even though analysis the wine is would be identical, it tastes fresher, cleaner. Yeah, for um, me it vibrant. tastes very fresh and it's also quite a lot more, I mean, South, not South African, wine people are sort of notorious for all these flowery adjectives and what have you, but the minerality that comes mm. out of wine that's mm. been in cement mm. is much much more pronounced for me. So oh, I love that clean mm. cut. It's very, it's very, you, it's, it's high tensile. It's like high tensile steel. Yes, you know? it's, yes, it's yes, yes it is. Yeah, yeah. It is it's also giving the wine almost a tension, um, which, mm. which, which, I, which I really like. I, I must just warn you, and I mean, you know the wine, if you're looking for bold, big, stated wines, then, then you will be disappointed. So, so the list is more principle in terms of what we do. Um, no, wine that your wines age. are always your wines are always very, mm. very elegant. We don't expect big blockbusters from <sighs> Skalki. We expect those gorgeous. You know, I always used to remember when I was studying my wine things. I had a lecturer at one stage who used to refer to wines that looked like well-bred, thoroughbred horses. They always had very skinny little ankles. And Skulky's wine's always got skinnier ankles for me. It's very, very highly bred wine. It shakes, it quivers, it's nervous, it's tense, it's brilliant. It's absolutely gorgeous. How long are you making this to last for? Do you want us to buy it and, and well, drink it yeah, only in yes. five years' time? I prefer to buy it and drink drink it immediately and buy again. <laughs> financially, that makes much more sense for me yes. to do it that way. Right? I'm, I'm, sure <laughs> I'm sure Bertrand wants that too. Yeah, but, uh, but you know, um, uh, we've opened uh, with Chris Kier, the, the previous winemaker, the Crescendo. I mean, wine's 25, 26 years old. It's incredible how fresh, vibrant, young they still are. Um, really? So for me, yeah, you know, there's a, a, a perception that the wine needs to be big to, to last. And, and if you think about it, you know, the, the great Pinot of the world, the top vintages that, or the top Bordeaux wines are not necessarily the big wines. It's the wines with the tension, um, mm. the wines with a nice low pH are the wines that are actually lasting mm. very, very well. So, I think winemaking practices have changed remarkably even since 1995 when the first Crescendo was released. So mm. I'm so excited. I can't wait to taste this thing in bottle. When are you coming to Johannesburg? Let me just finish uh, off. I put you off guard there. Hey. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, normally last year, uh, last year this time, I, I, I've, we've done done harvesting, and I mean, and now I'm only starting to press, starting emptying tanks. So, so harvest is definitely no Easter weekend for me or my staff. So, uh, we're going to be busy for at least another three weeks. 
Really, and mm. and the the harvest so much later because late rains or early rains for you, really. Yeah. Mm. yeah also, we had a, a quite a um, you know a lot of people are measuring a vintage in terms of what is happening just prior or during harvesting season, but but it starts with winter. So we had a late winter, so your your the flowering happened a bit later um, as well. So the whole the whole harvest moved or shift by about mm. uh, twelve days in our in our case. Mm. Mm. And Skalki, are you thinking of making any other wines to come out of Taibos, or is this your only baby that's going to, you're going to have an only child? At, at the moment, it's the only child, um, but I mean, he's a brother or sister at one stage or another, so, <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm experimenting um, with something which is going to be a beer cabinet from, um, playing around with it for, for, for quite some time. You can have a little, a, baby, a little baby shovel blank. We, we we might, but it's not going to happen within the next uh, two years. I, I'm I'm extremely fortunate that with with the investors uh, Bertrand and Pascal and Lorraine was was with me in this in this venture. We're not we are no rush. You know, a long term for me used to be ten to fifteen years. They're thinking about the next generation. So for yes. us, um, this is long term. What I'm doing basically mm-hmm. is to establish something for for my children or their children. You know, it's not. It's not something that we need to. Yeah, it's it's incredible, and and we are in no rush. So um, I'm not going to put anyone in the market if he's not ready. Best things are made that are unhurried. You know, if you mm-hmm. can have something that's unhurriedly made, it's always much nicer than something that's made in a dash. The little cellar at the old Cordoba farm is it still intact with that beautiful window just looking out over the mountains oh yes i will false say yes um it's still intact and i and i will be using it as a storage facility at a later stage um, a storage it, facility mm-hmm. i thought you were going to say carrie no, come no. and drink with me and we'll look at the view okay, okay let, let me rephrase it we will use it as if in a deck so that sounds just <laughs> a bit more <laughs> so Gary, uh, what what we what we're planning with the with the wine and because we don't really have much of it, is I would like to have a direct access to my consumer. So for us, um, it would be trying to to create um, a situation where we are selling to our club members. Uh, yes. The winery will be open to club members for tasting. Tastings would be for free, but it would be a proper tasting conducted either by myself or one of the other winemakers um, inside mm-hmm. the cellar. Um, something to, to, to nibble on while you're tasting the wine. So it's um, very French. I mean, that's that's very French in its approach. I, I think yeah. I think what happened uh, as well as this is that in a way, and then I'm I'm also guilty of it. You, you you tend to get removed from your consumer, and and I would like mm. to, to 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 change that where where the consumer or my client needs to come and visit me, uh, mm. experience it, see what we're doing. And then to sell on consumption. I don't have enough to, to sell directly into the trade, unfortunately. I think that's wonderful, actually. But, I, you know, if you're a little producer like that, it's very, very possible. And it's actually almost necessary at this stage of the game. But I do think and the more people I interview and the more people I speak to post-lockdown, everybody is finding that they are enjoying being closer to their end user. Hmm. And I mm. think that the advent of online sales and the digitalization of selling and marketing has made it so much easier for people like you to be in direct contact with your end user. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. 
Um, I will fight with you every now and again and ask you if I can do it maybe like a little Norman Goodfellows tasting or something. But of course. But, um, but I do think that it's, it's also beneficial for the end user to have access to a Skulk Villain. It's, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's, it's unbelievable. And I know that when I was in France, um, on any occasion I was in France, you always feel inordinately special if the mm. winemaker or the cellar master comes and spends time with you and actually imparts his journey with his wine and shares it with you. It's very special. Now, I think that's also the difference between making a fast-moving consumer product, which happens to be wine. We're not making wine, we're making tibos. And there's a difference to me. And that's why I want to have to connect with, with the end consumer and, 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 and bring them here and, and show them mm. what we're doing and why we are doing it. I mean, we are in the process of converting already busy for 18 months, everything to organic. Not that we, I want to sell the one because it's organic, I won't even put it on the label. Um, mm. but, but I think it's the right thing to do, um, simply because we're working with, with soil health and, and I've seen the benefits of that uh, from the wines, yes. without a doubt. Yes. Well, everything that's in the bottle definitely comes straight out of the ground, so we have to bear that in mind. Yes. Skulky, I'm so lucky to have you. I wish that everybody could be sitting looking at you like I've looked at you for the last 20 minutes in our little talk. I'm so excited. I can't wait to taste this wine. Are you going to come and visit after harvest is finished? Will you come with, and visit and can we put, put together a few customers and, and have a special Skulky space? This is a promise. I, I will definitely be there very, very soon. I, you know, for me, the market in, in Gauteng is the most important market in our country. And, and for, for our brand, it will be the most important market. I mean, mm. uh, market uh, in. Are you limiting bottles per client? No. I mean, can no. we buy some of 10 cases yeah, if yeah, we no. want to? Yes, yes. I have a, it's actually incredible. You know, I had a couple of people, investors, when I call it that. <laughs> who bought a substantial amount of, of, of wine, asking me to store it for them. And they say, you know, in five years' time, it might be worth something. If not, they will just yes. drink it. So there's no, there's no, there's no Steinhoff involved here. So <laughs> it's, quite a, it's quite a safe, 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 safe investment safe opportunity. Safe okay, But, good. you know, I, I think that we need to, to also show support for the people that, that, that are supporting us. So, you know, if someone wants to buy, uh, those will be the clients that I, that I will look after, you know. And they can, they can sell it at your seller if they wish to. You just charge yes, them a little yes, seller every year. There, there, there are different tiers, you know, depending on how much mm. you buy. Uh, I, I can, I, I am able to do that, yes. Okay, brilliant. Well, put that beautiful wife of yours in a car or an aeroplane and come and stay with me and we'll show everybody in Johannesburg what you and your wine look like. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. But you're making me blush here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my Skokie. Thanks so much Thank for you, joining Carrie. us on Carrie's Thank Corner. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Anne. Speak okay. soon. Bye. Bye. -bye.